Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Self-Initiative Project Podcast. I'm your host, Jim O'Brien. Hey, hey, and welcome back to episode 45. You know, we're kind of taking on a serious subject this time. Well, all of our subjects are serious, but I think this one uh, is on the top of all of our minds, especially in light of all the media play that it gets or seemingly gets these days and has been for a while. But we're going to talk about active shooters uh, in this episode. And we're going to expand that to include active killers because really at the end of the day, for us to wrap our minds around it and to respond and to get in the right mindset, uh, it really doesn't matter what the tool is that's being used to inflict the damage or, or, or to kill someone. So we're going to talk about it in the context of active killers in general, but I do want to start out by talking about active shooters because, again, this is what we see in the news, uh, specific here to the United States for the most part. I mean, this is a country of guns. We were founded on that, and, you know, we have the Second Amendment of the Constitution protecting it for us. So it makes sense from that perspective, but we also have to realize there is an agenda and a narrative playing out through the news outlets, and I don't want to go too far down that rabbit hole But yeah, we're going to talk about active shooters. So what is an active shooter? And I want to start off by giving uh, the, the Department of Homeland Security's definition and then the FBI, and they're basically one and the same. And I'm actually going to read this from the PDF that the U.S. Department of Homeland Security puts out an active shooter, how to respond PDF overview. And it's available online. You can find it really easily. An active shooter is an individual actively engaged in killing or attempting to kill people in a confined and populated area. In most cases, active shooters use firearms and there is no pattern or method to their selection of victims. And as I said, the uh, definition provided by the FBI is pretty much the same. They define an active shooter generally as an individual actively engaged in killing or intending to kill people in a confined space or other populated area. And so I just want to take a moment here to talk briefly about mass uh, shootings while they may be related they are not necessarily the same things because not all active shooter scenarios result in mass shootings. And the definition for a mass shooting is kind of wonky, but basically it's something like three to four people killed. I can't remember if that includes the perpetrators or not, but um, not all active shooter scenarios, as you may not know, don't qualify. They may not qualify as a mass shooting. So, I only point that out because I want you to be careful when you read online statistics and have conversations with people that they are not the same thing. An active shooter scenario is talking more about the individual and the mass shooting or you can kind of think of or the mass shooter, if you will, you can kind of think of as the outcome. Uh, and, And they've got some criteria around that, but it seems to flux a little bit. So I thought I'd start out by give you some stats, and uh, most of these stats I'm taking uh, straight from the FBI. I figure, you know, I try to do at least some research when I talk on these topics that are uh, academic in some ways, or at least provide some data academic to be reviewed from an academic standpoint. I think the FBI stuff is pretty decent, uh, at least in my mind. So that's what I'm going off of. I guess in 2019, they did a 20 year review on active shooter incidents. So they covered the years 2000 through uh, 2019 in in covering this 20 year review. Now they also put out uh, stats for the year 2020, which I'll talk about here in a minute, but it's kind of separate from this 20-year review, so I just want to throw that out there. And again, uh, this was published apparently, it looks like, in May of 2021, so uh, while it covers only up through 2000 through 2019, it was 
published or maybe last updated in May of 2021. And all this stuff is readily available online. And these are just, these aren't all the stats. These are just stats that I thought were interesting that might cause you to raise an eyebrow, you know, and the numbers seem to to point to the fact that active shooter situations are on the rise. And I guess they have been throughout history. I've often wondered if they're really on the rise or if it's media portrayal of the number of events occurring. There seems to be some evidence that they're definitely up. Uh, if and, and, you know, active shooter or mass shootings, if you will, or combination, whatever, Uh, And again, I don't want to confuse the terminology, but they've happened throughout history multiple times. So this isn't anything new. Things I think kind of changed in the media um, with Columbine more recently. But even going back to the tower shootings uh, on the University of Texas from 66, 1966, which we'll talk more about here in a few minutes. um, You know, that was really, I'd say, and by all reports, you know, the tower shooting at the University of Texas in 1966 was really the first active shooter slash mass shooting where the media was in full effect and providing that a lot of spotlight at the time, right? But I wanted to go over these statistics at least, at least a few of them that I thought were interesting from the 20-year study covering 20, uh, 2000, I'm sorry, to 2019. So in that 20 years, there were 333 incidents um, with 2,851 casualties. That's excluding the shooters. And again, I'm taking this right out of the report, but I want to be sure you know that this is directly out of the FBI's uh, publishing public uh, report. Uh, There were, out of the 333 incidents, there was 345 shooters, 13 of which were female. Now, when I saw that females were involved in active shooting whatsoever. I was kind of surprised by that, but yeah, there were 13 females involved in those incidents and a good portion, I'd say about a third of the 345 shooters committed suicide, which is also something interesting to note. And there's more details around that. Additionally, I thought it was really interesting that California appears to have suffered in that period of time the highest number of active shooter incidents coming in at 42. Really interesting considering they have some of the tightest gun control laws in the country, certainly now. Um, So I thought that was interesting. Uh, Also to note, most active shooting incidents are uh, driven or uh, run uh, primarily by uh, whites. And contrary to what you might think or you might have picked up or sensed in the media, uh, most shootings have not occurred in schools, whether it's, you know, uh, through high school or college even, but actually in businesses. And they break down businesses um, a couple of different ways the FBI does. One is open to pedestrian traffic and then closed to pedestrian traffic. So a couple of quick examples, and they give some in the report, but a couple off the top of my head is an example of open to pedestrian traffic would be a bar. And I'm sure you've heard of some of the active shooter scenarios that have occurred in bars around the country. And then closed to pedestrian traffic would be something like in a warehouse. And no, I'm blanking out on an incident that happened in a business closed to pedestrian traffic, but you get my drift. Uh, interestingly enough, the uh, second highest occurrence of active shooter scenarios, still not in schools. Uh, the second highest occurrence of active shooters is just in open spaces. And of course, you remember from 2017, the guy up in the hotel shooting down in the crowd in Las Vegas, right? And that caused uh, quite a bit of spike in some of these numbers that you'll find here. But uh, the pre-K through uh, 12th is the third highest um, volume of active shooter incidents. Um, So I thought that was interesting. First is 
businesses open to pedestrian traffic. Second is open spaces. Third is pre-K through 12 schools. And fourth is businesses closed to pedestrian traffic. So that's kind of the ordering there. Let's talk about 2020 and uh, probably won't go in quite as much depth there. But in 2020 alone, there were 40 active shooter incidents in the United States. It covered 19 states for the year 2020. There were 164 casualties, uh, excluding the shooters in those 40 incidents. So, you know, things, at least as of last year, seem to point that things continue to be on a rise. It seems like, you know, if you just gloss over your eyes and kind of look at the data, it seems like the numbers are usually in the 20s now, more recently, right? But we have had some spikes into the 30s and 40s, so there's cause to be uh, concerned for sure. And, you know, people are wanting to know what we can do about it. And uh, I hope to share my thoughts on that and uh, plan to here coming up. So let's talk about some traits of the active shooter. And there was a report put out by Lexapol, which evidently uh, put out a report focused, centered around, this was back in 2018. So not the most recent, but fairly recent, I suspect still holds uh, quite a bit of uh, merit to it. But this was a report put out in 2018 by Lexapol, and it was, you know, t- referencing FBI data statistics. Um, interesting th- that um, 62%, and I, I could have guessed this, right? Everybody says it all the time. And there is an important distinction here. But, it, but they said that 62% of cases, they have some sort of mental health issue. Now, I get it. It's important to note that mental health is not the same thing as mental illness. Mental illness means someone's been, it's, you know, I'm paraphrasing here, but it means you've officially been diagnosed with a problem, right? And have a mental illness. You've been officially diagnosed with a mental illness. Mental health is, you know, you're stressed out at work or you're having a hard time in your personal relationships, either with your spouse or your domestic partner, that sort of thing, you know, stress, right? Like, especially now with things going on, people are got a lot of stress. And I would contend that stress as a whole seems to be going up over recent years too. So that makes sense that 62%, at least as of 2018, and again, I think this holds water, have some sort of mental health issues. Uh, quite a few of them, and I don't recall the percentage offhand, but again, all this information is available online. Uh, a, a, a good number of them have either been a victim of some sort of bullying, you know, when we talk about our children, or they are some sort of bullying, even in their adult life. Uh, a good portion of them have been in some sort of abusive relationships, And then the really high number, at least it struck me as such, was 80% have some sort of personal grievances, right, with someone. And I think of, well, I know, uh, again, I think the report references it. Uh, Again, a lot of people think it might be racially inclined or something like that, but this is more on a personal level. Like the person feels they've been slighted or disrespected or turned down, you know, whatever the case may be, but 80% have some sort of personal grievances. So we, and we'll talk about some events that have happened over the years um, coming up, but You know, when Columbine happened, I think that was 1999, if memory serves, uh, we decided to start taking these things, these events super seriously. And through that tragedy, you know, there were some programs created, one program in particular from the Department of Homeland Security, which I mentioned earlier. Uh, But, you know, people started having more conversations and figuring out what needed to happen to help curtail or reduce the number of these things. And so the Department of Homeland Security created a program, which many of you may have heard of, called Run, Hide, Fight. 
and it was just that um your first line of defense is to get out get away if you can right just get out uh, take people with you if you can but your goal for yourself should certainly to be to run and get away uh, next being hide if you can't get away then don't be standing out in the hallways you know find a room barricade yourself in a room don't stand in front of doors because doors can and are shot through uh, barricade with heavy furniture you know get in there and hide in the corners out of sight be quiet turn off your cell phones hide now i do want to throw this in there and some people have given this bad piece of advice and you can find articles and you can even find a few videos out there on the interwebs there is there are some folks that have suggested that you should play dead and that's part of the hide part i guess i don't know or maybe you can't get away and you just figure you'll just lay there that has proven to be unsuccessful and there's been many victims uh, not come out of situations like that. And there's even, I've seen a video and I can't for the life of me remember where it was or who it was talking, but they even talked about the people that slumped over their school desks or laid on the floor dead. The active shooters actually came by to shoot them and did. Um, and we have to remember, you know, the mindset of an active shooter is to shoot as many people as possible in the shortest period of time, because they know they're on borrowed time. The moment that they start, even before they pop off that first shot and law enforcement's talked about that. So, uh, playing dead is not a good, uh, option It is not a good, uh, uh, thing to take out of the playbook. So I highly, uh, do not recommend playing dead. But again, going back to the Homeland Security's method, run first, hide second. And then the last bit is, is, is if you absolutely must, if you find yourself in a situation where you couldn't run away, maybe they came in and found where you were hiding and you have absolutely no choice, then you, you know, you should look to engage with them and fight. And we'll talk about more of that coming up. So as I think I mentioned when I first started this chat, so I think it's important that we evolve the conversation from just active shooter. Look, we're a country founded on firearms, right? And, and thank goodness we are, in my opinion. Uh, that's one of the freedoms that are afforded to us by the Constitution of the United States and living in a free country that we made for ourselves. But that aside, I think it's important that we expand this conversation and our mindset to think in terms of active killer because at the end of the day, while, yes, active shooting is a thing here stateside because we're a gun, you know, we got a lot of guns in the country, it could be any tool. And I'm going to talk about some things to prove that very point. Because, you know, if you look in the full, if you look at the full context of things, it, it's, it's not about just, it's not just about guns. So, you know, when we think of active shooter scenarios, we think of Con Columbine, we think of Sandy Hook, we think of Virginia Tech, but there's been so many other acts of, act, dare I say, active killer. And I found this on a website, uh, at least the story in part, and I found it a couple of different places. And so the story varies a little bit. Um, but evidently the first reported attack on a school was actually in 1764. And as the story goes, as I found here on officer.com, it talks about that in 19, uh, I'm sorry, in 1764, in July of 1764, four Delaware American in Indians entered a schoolhouse in, in Pennsylvania uh, with the intent of killing those that were inside. And when they came into the school, when the four American Indians came into the school, the schoolmaster confronted them and they shot him and scalped him. So they killed him immediately. They then proceeded to scalp 11 children. If you can imagine such a horrific act, these four American Indians then, as the story goes, scalped 11 children nine of which succumbed to their wounds and then they kidnapped a number f an, a, another four 
And I, you know, from there, I don't know where the story went. I didn't go much past that. Another source I found said that it was three Indians and um, there was a total of 10 people killed, which would make still make sense because if nine kids die plus the schoolmasters. So a little variance there as there are in stories from days so far gone, but, you know, a horrific event, right? And while they shot the schoolmaster, they scalped the other 11 kids. The first... Uh, as reported by a website, Newser, America's first school massacre, still its deadliest. A gentleman by the name of Andrew Kehoe in 1927 drove to a school in Michigan in 1927 and detonated a bomb that killed 45 people, including 38 children. And, you know, they say if you want to kill a lot of people at one time, either bombs or guns are the way to do it, right? There was no guns involved here. This guy had some homemade explosives. So I thought that was interesting. So, again, another incident early on in our history where no guns involved. Um, And this isn't all about schools, right? It's just that a lot of shootings have taken place there, but still not the majorities. Uh, Some of these I just thought were interesting because they're, you know, they're, hugely profound in our history uh the next i referenced early was the texas tower shooting of 1966 and that was when charles whitman uh killed 14 people and wounded another 31 and uh if you haven't heard of that story i'd look it up and again that was kind of significant because while it certainly wasn't the first active shooter scenario and wasn't the first mass shooting in American history by any stretch of the imagination, we've had some horrific events going back even as far back as 1920, if you look on Wikipedia. Uh, but certainly this one, I think, takes note. I mean, even in my lifetime, uh, just because it was when the media got a hold of something, right? And this one got all kinds of media news press. So the Texas Tower in 1966 with Charles Whitman is is a significant uh, shooting event for sure. Uh, The next uh, you might remember because it's where the the terminology got coined, I think, going postal. I don't know if you've heard that before, but I think I'm pretty sure it's where the the terminology going postal came from. In August of 1986, a gentleman by the name of Patrick Patrick Henry Sherrill was a United States postal worker, postal service worker, and he killed 14 employees before he took his own life. And that was in 1986. So another significant event with firearms involved. And then, you know, more recently we have the Virginia Tech massacre, which I believe still remains the largest uh, death toll for schools to date. Sandy Hook, which we're all familiar with. Um, Again, the University of Texas tower shooting ranks in that top three of deadliest attacks, at least on schools. And then that's followed by uh, Columbine, which again, uh, that was, let's see, that was uh, uh, April of 1999. And I remember that almost like it was yesterday. You know, the next thing we got to talk about is knives, right? Now, there's, as I've come to understand, there have only been, and I'm looking here, approximately seven mass knife attacks in the U.S. since like 1901 or something like that. But the one of the more recently, at least, was at the Lone Star College in Cyfair back in... 2013 around about april of 2013 wound up wounding 14 people two of which were seriously so here stateside at a at a at a college campus some kid wielding a knife injures 14 people back in around march of 2014 A group of knife-wielding men, and this probably crosses into terrorism, right? And there's specific definitions for terrorism, but I'm going to bring it up anyway just to talk about the power of the knife. 
And approximately, there's probably at least five individuals involved with this. But in China, in a train station, they uh, killed at least 29 people and wound up injuring more than 130 others. And you can find this online. I happen to be looking at a NBC uh, news website talking about it, referencing. And, you know, more recently, uh, just in June of this year, in fact, 2021, CNN published an article uh, entitled, As America Struggles with Gun Violence, China Faces Its Own Public Threat, Mass Stabbings. Uh, It's interesting to note how many mass stabbings have occurred in China and some other countries, too. And, you know, they're they have very tight, strict gun laws in China, as I'm sure you can imagine. But their number of active killers with knives is is incredible, including a in uh, in November of 2018, a 39 year old woman with a knife burst into a playground of kindergartners in southwest china and managed to slash 14 children and what's interesting too that same year the same day in 2012 when 20 students were shot at sandy hook there were 22 student there were 22 children stabbed at an elementary school uh, somewhere in China the very same day. So what's the point of bringing all this up? Well, it's it's not just about the object, the tool that's used, right? Guns are, yes, a tool of choice here in America, but active killer could be to any tool. And it's more about the intent and the heart and the mental status of the person behind that tool that really is the part that we need to be addressing and talking more about. And we'll talk more about that here in a few minutes too. You know, China actually has examples of uh, knife wielding, cleaver wielding, axe wielding, and even a case I read, I saw where uh, an individual had used a hammer to inflict injury to at least eight different people. So again, it really is not about the tool. Um, Certainly again, you know, you can inflict more damage with better tools, but again, it's about the individual, the evil, the heart, the intent, the mental health, the mental status, whatever you want to call, that's that's all behind it. And then, of course, you know, more recently, just Christmas here in Wisconsin, we had the crazy drive his SUV through a bunch of Christmas paraders, right? And we see how that went, you know, not a gun anywhere to be found. He just simply drove over a bunch of people during a Christmas parade. It's crazy. I oftentimes say it, you know, the world's crazy and going to hell in a handbasket. I don't know how else to to look at it sometimes. But I wanted to present with you some, you know, certainly some events that we're all familiar with or more familiar with, and then some things that have occurred through history. And believe me, there's a lot more. I mean, again, the the active shooters alone in that 20-year study said there was 333 plus the 40 from last year. That's 373 events, active shooter, in 21 years here in the States. But my point is, is that the conversation and the mindset and being prepared is a much larger subject. And that's why I think it's important for us to talk in terms of active killer and and not active shooter by itself. Because again, that's kind of sl- uh, slanted uh, to, to an agenda side, especially when it comes to the news media. So why am I here? Why do I have an interest in this? Well, you know, it's top of mind for a lot of people. And it just so happens that I'm one that believe that I have the right and the responsibility for my own personal safety and self-defense. And, you know, if, if, uh, if I wasn't single, I would have that same responsibility for my significant other as well. So I take responsibility for it. And so I've gotten some training and yeah, I have a martial arts background and a background in Krav, what little bit there is of it. Uh, but I've actually been through some active killer defense and I want to talk to you a little bit about that and, uh, talk about some programs that are available out there. So, 
I've actually been through this particular program twice, and it was early on, but it's great. I'm sure they're still evolving it and trying out new techniques and new things because we're like everything in life, including some things currently that are going on. We're learning as we go, right? No one's a master of an expert, but there are some people that are getting really, really better at it. And if nothing else, these people are making you think about it and making you consider doing things you might not have ever had. Uh, before so i've been through active killer defense training uh the two courses that i took and yes i went back and took the same one again because i thought it was good and look if you take a seminar once you you know repetitiveness is key when it comes to these sorts of things but i but i trained with ryan hoover at fit to fight uh up in charlotte north carolina he has an active killer defense program i highly recommend it They not only talk about mindset and situational awareness and what goes down in an active killer scenario, they teach you defense. Yes, it means you're getting engaged and having the the mindset that you're going to go home safe and protect yourself and maybe others at all cost. And then the great thing about it, too, is it covers some basic trauma care, which is really important if you think about it. And I'll tell you more about that, why that's important here coming up. Um, There's some other programs out there I want to mention. Obviously, the Department of Homeland Security has their run, hide, fight. Look, if you're not going to go seek out specific training on how to fight or how to combat active killers, active shooters, then at least become familiar with the run hide fight program it's meant for the general populace because they know that most people aren't going to seek out that specialized training so at bare minimum i recommend the run hide fight not that it's a great program in and of itself because i think there's so much more beyond that like the fighting piece that everybody needs but also the trauma care uh as well uh but it's certainly still an option and then one other that i'm uh vaguely familiar with is one called avert it's one that i've been wanting to check out um for some time now and avert stands for active violence emergency response training and it goes above and beyond the basic run hide fight so my point is there's there's examples of three uh approaches three training you know opportunities that you have there's others i know some other crop schools out there across the u.s are doing uh active shooter active killer training so i'm sure you can find something in your area but either way hopefully this stimulates you to get to thinking about what you need to do for yourself and your loved ones another opportunity that i've had and i think i've talked about this before on one or more of my previous podcast is I had the opportunity for the county that I live in to participate in the community emergency response team or the CERT program for the county. And it's basically free, provided by FEMA, I believe it is. And you learn all kinds of cool stuff, right? Um, Which I highly recommend if it's available in your area or anything like it. But again, it's the community emergency response team, CERT. Um, usually at the county level, provided at the county level, it's over the course of seven or eight weeks, at least it was for me at the time I went through it a few years back. But the outcome of that relative to active shooter killer uh, situations is that afforded me the the uh, ability to uh, to volunteer at a county level to participate in, to, in some active shooter killer scenarios. And so I've actually had the fortune of, and you know, it's, it's uh, scary stuff when you're going through it, but I've had the fortune of doing three training exercises at the county level uh, across departments as far as first responders go, whether it's law enforcement or fire or EMT. Uh, the first one was actually in an elementary school, and I think it was during the summer, so they weren't in session. But in either either case, whatever the time of the year it was, I can't remember off time, this particular elementary school in a town near me was closed. And multiple municipalities, cities, counties came for the training exercise, and I was one of the volunteers. And it was in an actual elementary school. It just happened to be closed down, as I mentioned. And... I had a couple of scenarios that I was able to see things from those angles. The first one was just a bystander. And I don't even know entirely what the scenarios were that they had fed to first responders at that time, law enforcement. 
but I was upstairs on the second floor, back in the back of a classroom with one other person, and we were just kind of supposed to be innocent bystanders. And we had to wait on uh, law enforcement to come through, right? And they come through, and even in these training exercises, you know, their adrenaline spiked and they're jacked. So you want to comply, as I always recommend with law enforcement. So I got to see them operating at that level, and I wasn't a victim. I hadn't been shot or hurt anyway, but they had to engage me and figure out whether or not I was a good guy or bad guy. So I got to work that side of the street. And we worked three scenarios that day, if memory serves. The second one was I was still a bystander, but I was put in an area in a position of the school building where some stuff was happening. And uh, to make a long story short, ultimately, I got bum rushed by a county SWAT group coming through and wound up getting to feel like what it was like to have a knee in my back of my neck and get handcuffed. And again, they have their protocols and procedures, and I'm not going to talk about that because that's their stuff that I would You know, if we talk about their stuff, we compromise their procedures and their safety, quite honestly. But, you know, they have their way of going about things. So in that scenario, they couldn't determine if I was a good guy or bad guy. Where I was standing was next to what appeared to be a bad guy, which they had not cleared and checked out yet. So they treated me as though I was potentially bad though they weren't certain, which is a lot of times the case for law enforcement, right? So I got to experience the knee in the back of the neck, and it was fine. It was it was not as bad as I'm sure it might be in the real deal, but it was cl- pretty close because, again, these guys are feeling the stress of the drill that we're going through. And then the last scenario, I was actually a victim where I hadn't been hurt, but a perpetrator had me down on the ground with a machete to my neck, And law enforcement had to come through and do their thing there and chased him off. And I was laying there and fine. But the point is, is I got to see different angles of similar scenarios, right, in that situation, in that elementary school. And, you know, one thing that stands out in my mind besides getting rushed by SWAT and put on the ground with a knee in the back of my neck was um, at the beginning of the first scenario, there was actually gunfire going off in the school. Now they were shooting blanks, obviously, no no live rounds, obviously, for safety and every other reason imaginable. But let me tell you, they were using a 308 caliber in an M1A that they had with blanks in it. And when you hear a 308 caliber going off in the concrete hallways of an elementary school, It'll get your attention, get your attention. So I do have those memories from that incident, that, that, that situation. And it was great. I never will forget that day. And you get to see how first responders behave and react and what they do and what their procedures and policies are too, which is cool, but I'm not going to divulge any of that. Uh, the next scenario that I got to volunteer for, which was awesome, was bright and early about five, three in the morning on a Sunday morning. While the mall was still closed in a major, large shopping mall here in the area at 530 in the morning while it was closed, again, the county and some other joining cities and counties and first responders, law enforcement, while the mall was closed, had an active shooter scenario. I played a victim in that. I was basically laying down outside one of the major department stores while there was gunfights going on above me with some munitions. So I collected up, I think, a few expended rounds of some munitions out of that deal. But it was cool, again, to see it all come together and to see law enforcement and first responders getting training, right? That's so critical. And in the beginning days, they weren't getting a lot of that. And one positive, you know, if there is a positive... And I always believe there is a positive if you look for it is that law enforcement now is figuring out what they need to be doing it and they're and they're doing a better job about getting the training out there. It might be slow, but it's it's sure right like it's coming along. And I believe that after having been through it a few times, Uh, the last event, because I haven't done it for a little bit now, is a uh, major metropolitan transit authority shut down one of their. train stations um, here in the metropolitan area and 
it was late at night in the middle of the night in fact i think i wound up working from like midnight till four or five in the morning doing it but again i got to play the role of the victim and they had hollywood makeup artist on site and i had a gunshot wound in the leg that they did up which actually looked pretty real i have to say for what it was and you go down into the train station and there's trains parked on one side and not in the other. And then when they say go, there's bad, there was two bad guys shooting blanks out of AK-47s. They had the platforms with basically the fireworks launchers on there to, to, to uh, make it seem like there's explosions going off. I mean, it was a full-scale, full-on event. And uh, to make a long story short, I was laying out there on the train uh, platform for a while with a a couple of other people, a couple of ladies, actually. And I think at least one, if not both of them, were uh, studying to be nurses at a local uh, major medical college. And we took away a very important lesson that day, which is something I want to talk to you here in this time we have together in this episode as well. But we learned one important lesson and I actually made it a point during the exercise to say it to them. You know, it's like they're not coming to save us. Like if we didn't know what to do and assuming we're still conscious and capable, if we didn't know what to do with ourselves, we're in trouble because here we are, you know, like I'm supposed to be shot in the leg bleeding out. Like we are our own first responders at the end of the day. And that's an important lesson for you to take away. If you know, if you take nothing else away from this talk about active shooters and active killers, whatever, you need to get yourself some basic trauma care training. So you know what to do for yourself, your children, your spouse, your domestic partner, your family member, whatever it is, because in the case of a large scale attack like that, they're not coming in to take care of you first. So anyway, there's all this gunfire, there's explosions going off. Uh, again, it was a multi-county, multi-city uh, event at, at that scale. You would imagine fire, EMT, and obviously law enforcement, SWAT. So to make a long story short, I'm laying there on the platform. I'm, you know, I'm passed out from my leg gunshot wound. I got my eyes closed because, you know, I'm all in. I'm going to play along. And I remember um, some SWAT guys came in and after they did their thing, um, they came and got us. And I remember when they got me on the gurney, they picked me up, put me in the gurney. And I'm still got my eyes closed and I'm trying to play as limp as I can for them, you know, as they put me in that gurney to carry it out. And I think there was, I know there was two, there was one at my feet and one in my head for sure. I don't really remember how many, but I know there was at least two. And the thing that I remember about the guy standing at my head, carrying me at my head was his AR kept knocking me in the back of my head because he had it swung around the front of him. Right. So I'm, supposedly passed out on the gurney his ar-15 is it's not like hitting me hard but it's tapping me on the top of my head the back of my head for sure they wound up and i can feel where we're going they wound up carrying me up some stairs out of the belly of the train station they picked me up and over the turnstile and then wound up taking me out in the street and staging me. You know, when you have mass casualty events, there's stages that you do. And if you took cert training, you'd know what those are. But anyway, it was very much like that. And that was kind of the end of the event. <clears throat> and I, you know, my, my two biggest takeaways from that were that, um, A, you need to have some basic trauma training because no one's going to take care of you except you and you know unless you're unconscious you need to be prepared to do just that very thing you and whoever's with you that you're responsible for and then the other big thing is and i know this is changing or supposed to be changing again because this type of training is evolving is that the one thing that you need to know too if you ever find yourself in a bad situation like that and again maybe by the time it happens if it ever happens to you First responders, law enforcement, SWAT teams, whatever you want to call it, when they come in, they could care less about you. You can be screaming bloody murder. You can be half dead, half bled out on the floor. Their job is not to take care of you. Their first and only responsibility when they first come on scene after they've evaluated things as best they can is to come in and neutralize the threat. And that's just the reality of it is. Again, you've got an active shooter, active killer, knife-wielding, hammer-wielding, whatever. 
their first job and responsibility is to neutralize that threat. Then, you know, fire, rescue, EMT, whatever, or they will come back and get you. Uh, so you need to you need to know and understand those two things. And uh, for me, those three events were a fantastic experience for me, and I'm so glad I had the opportunity to do them, and I learned so much. So yeah, in my experience, I've gotten to walk the defensive side. You know, with my active killer training with Fit to Fight, I've gotten to be a victim in those training scenarios. And I've got to be the bystander, right? Just kind of, no, no, I'm a good guy. Don't do anything to me. I'm, I'm just here caught up in this mess. Uh, I guess the only thing that I haven't done is I haven't obviously walked the side of law enforcement, which I doubt I ever will. And I haven't played the role of the bad guy. And I really don't want to, right? Especially seeing how they get handled at the end of the day. I have no political agenda in this discussion that I'm having with you here today. But I do want to make it a point to say this. For me, it has nothing to do with the tools. A tool like a firearm, a knife, a hammer, an axe, a hatchet, a cleaver, a baseball bat, a broken bottle, those are just inanimate objects that don't do anything except sit there or lay there, if they're really lazy, until... A person with some type of intent chooses to pick them up and do something with them, good or bad. And so for me, that's one of the reasons why I wanted to walk away from just talking about the concept of active shooters and expand it to cover active killers because it's really uh, all the same. It's just a tool that's been chosen to be used with someone that has ill intent. And I want to talk about that for a moment. To me, again, this has nothing to do with the tool, the inanimate object that's harmless in and of itself. It's really more about the heart, the intent, the mental state or the mental health of the individual wielding those tools And I want you to really think about that, whether you're pro-gun, anti-gun, pro-knife, anti-knife. I don't know how many anti-knifers we have out there. We'll see how long that takes. But I want you to understand it's, it's the heart and the intent that matter. And with that being said, you know, those are things that are hard to understand. How do you know what the intent or the mindset is or the heart, where somebody is with their heart? How do you know that? How do you get to that? How do you prove that one way or the other? So I get why the tool is the focus of the subject of top, you know, the topic at hand, the subject that we're after, right? Because it's easier to attack the inanimate, useless tool than it is to deal with the heart of the issues and what's causing the issues. And I want you to take that away and think about that because that's really what it boils down to to, uh, in my mind, at least anyway. So how do we know these things are going to happen? How do we know when they might happen? Well, we don't really, but there are some signs. And again, according to the FBI, and it was referenced in the report put out by Lexapol there, um, in every situation, at least most of the situations, there was something awry and somebody knew something ahead of time. Now, in some cases, issues are reported to police, but maybe at that point there's little evidence or little that they can act upon. But it's important we recognize at least some of the signs and be on the lookout. And like we've heard the cheesy saying, but it's so true, see something, say something. But let's talk about some of the signs that you might see exhibited by a person, whether it's a child in school or an adult. Um, withdrawal, you know, any changes in normal behavior, right? You know them pretty well, assuming you do know them at all, right? If you're around them, withdrawal, changes in normal behavior. Uh, Whether they do it intentionally or not, they sometimes leak their plans to someone they know. It may not be immediate friends or family, but a lot of times they've leaked their plans to others. 
their work performance may drop off, may decrease, right? They may start doing a lot of making a lot of threats or getting into some confrontations that they wouldn't have otherwise. Uh, you may see a spike in drug or alcohol abuse. Uh, they may begin having issues with anger. They may show signs of physical aggression at times, especially with that <laughs> newfound anger, right? Uh, in some cases, at least, there's been social media posts made that seem off-putting or anti-political or something very negative, maybe even where the plans show up. And in some cases, there's been plans laying around, you know, sketches, diaries, things like that. And so it's not like one or two of these things indicate that somebody's going to become an active killer. But they say, and again, this is according to the report by Lexapol that's based off of F FBI uh, data, they say that like four or five of these sorts of things will exhibit themselves over time, will show up over time. So you're looking for changes and not just one change, but, you know, four or five changes over a period of time. And it's interesting because in the case where uh, kids are 18 and below, of course, 18, you're an adult, right? I get it. <clears throat> but in the cases where it's 18 and below in the schools, there's generally been teachers and or other students that have recognized and seen some evidence like bullying, too, included in the mix is a big one for students, right? And then with adults, typically you know, a spouse or a domestic partner has seen some warning signs, right? And so it's important we know kind of what to look for, but it's more important that we don't ignore it. And so for parents out there, I, I, I would just ask a few things, right? Number one is if you're a gun owner, lock up your guns and don't share your combinations or your keys to those safes with your children, right? That, that's really a big one. And a lot of gun owners need to take that advice is keeping your guns locked up, especially when they're not in your direct control. You know, have a relationship with your kids. Talk to them directly. Keep tabs on what they're doing and who they're hanging out with. Changes in behavior, right? You're looking for those signs. You're looking for those changes in behavior, uh, the withdrawing, the being bullied or doing more bullying, you know, uh, uh, downturn in grades, uh, much like work performance, right? That's the equivalent for the students, right? Uh, keep an eye out on the social media posts, you know, listen in on the phone calls they have with people. Uh, it, it's tough being a parent, right? I get it. But these are just some things that you can do as a parent to be on the lookout you know, and you know your family situation too. May have gotten recently divorced. Maybe he, maybe your children's bitter about a someone they were super interested in turning them down. Maybe you know they've been bullied. Um, you know, and by that, by the same token, see something, say something, right? And talk to your schools. Talk to your schools to keep tabs on your children. Uh, put pressure on your schools to get some training for the staff and for the students when it comes to active shooting and training. You know, they, they don't know what they don't know, and they can't act if they don't know what to do. And, and talk to your schools about policies and plans that they do have in place. And when something doesn't seem right, bring it up as a concern, right? I, I heard some time ago that some schools were actually suggesting that if there was ever an active shooter on site, children on the playground should be brought back inside again. And I don't know 100% that that was true, but I can't believe that policies like that are being out there if they are. But at the same time, I wouldn't put it past some of these entities because they just don't know, right? And so it's important that we start those conversations. And look, if you're an adult and you have a job, be proactive. Uh, you, know, you know your office best. You know your floor plans best. Think through scenarios and, you know, come up with plans ahead of time so that you know what you're doing should ever something bad happen. You know, uh, take a moment to talk to your management and to see how they feel about uh, policies or if there's plans in place. Talk to your head of security. 
be proactive about getting that information. And if nothing else, by asking around, you at least let them know that you're thinking about it and you're concerned and, you know, you want them to address it for you. I think, you know, the mental health thing is interesting. According to the FBI, 62% of cases have some sort of mental health issue. And again, that's not that they've been officially diagnosed with something. It just means they got a lot of stuff going on in their lives. We've talked about some of that, you know, stressors, being turned down by somebody, being bullied severely, whatever it is. Uh, being in an abusive relationship, whatever it is. Uh, The mental health is so key, and I I think that's an area where out of everything we've talked about, we stand to gain the most as far as where we need to spend our efforts and time. Um, And I know with that being said, there are already some entities out there that are starting to have the more serious conversations, the tough conversations, and they're getting that going Uh, I think walk the talk is one that I can think of off the top of my head and there's more thankfully, but there needs to be even more because I do believe the mental health thing is so key to all of this and it's the toughest one to address, right? It's kind of like the heart and the intent, the mental health. It's easier to talk about the tools because, you know, being a human's tough, right? And these things are tough to address. Uh, and mindset, I'm going to talk about mindset. You know, these are all things we can do. It's about having the right mindset towards all this, right? It's not doom and gloom. The chances of something like this happening are slim to nil still in the overall scheme of things, even though, you know, the numbers show it's on an uprise in the overall scheme in the world. It's still not that the chances of you being in an active killer scenario are pretty darn slim, right? But I think it's important that you think about it, right? We've talked about in past podcasts of thinking through scenarios and getting a plan in place in your head for yourself, if nothing else, about what you would do if, you know, what if, right? We've talked about that. I think it's important that you wrap your mind around you may need to be prepared to fight back. And that may involve improvised tools, improvised weapons you have in the school, in your off place of business, in the office, you know, whatever it is, the stapler, the fire extinguisher, the chair, the, the computer keyboard, the computer monitor, whatever it is, get in that mindset that you want to go home at all costs. Because I can tell you, if the types of things that we're talking about go, go down, the people that are perpetrating the death and destruction, their intent and their intent is to hurt and kill or maim as many people as they possibly can in the short period of time that they have. Um, so you need to have the mindset that, okay, if it comes down to it, I'm prepared to do just that. And here's another thing that people not, I don't think all people understand is you need to remember in all of this, which might motivate you further to think about fighting back is that law enforcement has no duty to engage and no duty to protect you. Now, you can sit here and say after the fact they were a coward, yada, yada, yada. On the job, they have no responsibility or duty to get involved at all. If if a cop shows up to the place and things are, he hears gunfire, he is not obligated and has no duty to come in there and engage whatsoever. You would hope so and you would like them to, but at the end, you need to get your mind around the fact you're on your own and you're responsible for yourself. And the last thing I want to leave you with, and again, I've talked about it already, is get yourself some basic trauma training, I should say, basic trauma training. Uh, There's a fantastic program out called Stop the Bleed. As far as I know, anywhere it's offered, it's free. It's fantastic. It teaches you about, you know, uh, getting bleeding stopped. Severe bleeding is still the number one cause of preventable death in trauma cases. An active killer scenario, you can bet there's going to be some severe bleeding going on. Learn how to use that tourniquet. Keep a tourniquet with you. Keep it in your purse. Keep it in your glove box. Keep it on your person. Keep it in your attache case. Keep it in your backpack. Whatever. Get that basic care because it's going to come in handy because nobody's got your back except you. So with that, I want to wrap up this 
episode 45. I hope you've taken more than a few things away, but I hope something here has made you think. It makes you have conversations with your loved ones, your family, your friends. And look, if you like what you hear, please feel free to go back and listen to our other podcasts. We've got 44 others now. And uh, we know there's a lot of options, so we appreciate you listening. And and I want to thank you for listening. And if you like what you hear here today, please share it with your friends and family. Thanks so much, and we'll see you next time.